This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, well, welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Charlie Hurt in studio. If you're smart enough to get Fox Nation, you see him. Uh, Dave Ignatius from the Washington Post at the bottom of the hour. Well, we're going to make heads or tails of what's happening uh, in Ukraine as well as what's happening in Israel as they go deep into the West Bank to find out what's happening there. I know it's kind of a blur. Fascinating things happening in Russia, one of which is Pergosian. Famed, who founded Wagner Group and almost took the country, it seems, might be in St. Petersburg, not dead with a Trotsky hatchet in his head, but back in St. Petersburg? Really? Why is this happening? And what is happening actually in the war? So before we get to Charlie, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This kind of incident rattles old ghosts in the Arabian Gulf. 35 years ago, the U.S. Navy sunk a number of Iranian warships. First time we'd sunk warships since the Second World War after Iran tried to close the Strait of Hormuz with mines. This will not end well for Iran. Admiral Stavridis, smelling weakness. Iran harassing ships. We have to come to their rescue. Why are they suddenly so emboldened? China? Bans coveted access to metals needed for just about everything. Russia buzzing our planes again and our drones as we send our Treasury Secretary to talk compromise with China. This is why Trump is stronger than ever. Number two. A lot of people go through there. Staff goes through there. The press does not, so you can rule out the press at this point. Guests of staff go through there, but it is a heavily trafficked area. There are cubbies there. I've got to believe this was discovered rather quickly because there's a Secret Service officer sitting right there. So it couldn't have been there for days and days. It had to have been there for, I would say, minutes before someone took it. Yeah, we're talking cocaine. Hunter is a suspect, maybe, when it comes to that mysterious bag of coke in the White House. Why would he not be, as evidence of the former crackhead's international business dealing become unearthed by a mysterious Israeli witness hiding for his safety as whistleblowers fight for theirs. And lastly, manipulating no more. A judge rules Fauci, the FBI, and Clueless Joe can't threaten social media outlets to repress free speech, and the battle lines have been drawn. We will review the arguments. As the administration says, they will appeal. Uh, Great to see you, Charlie Hurt. Good to see you. So I love that this court ruling came out on July 4th and the July 4th ruling that basically said, I saw what you did with the Twitter files. I've seen what's been going on here over the last few years. It's going to stop. How they enforce it, that's another story. What's really scary about this is there was a time when the media would have been playing this role years ago. You know, the press would have said, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is our purview. We're the fourth estate here. You can't the, the, the administration can't collude with social media outlets and force them to say things or ban them from saying things or, or uh, get into cahoots with them to force other people to shut down free speech of other people. You, there was a time when the, when the press would like argue for this sort of stuff, but they completely checked out. 
for an entire throughout the entire pandemic, and they never sort of uh, stood up for any of it. Two things uh, I, I I think about with Twitter we was exposed. We didn't never get Facebook. We never got Instagram. Obviously owned by Facebook. Uh, we ne- will never get TikTok. But just in Twitter, it was revealed that the FBI was working with former FBI agents who had higher positions within Twitter to suppress, not ban, suppress in many situations. Things like what uh, what we Charlie Kirk was putting right. out with uh, with the, the Young Americans Foundation. Things that uh, uh, Donald Trump Jr. started coming out and saying, "Why am I not getting traction like I used to?" So it was almost diabolical. They wouldn't silence you to create outrage; they would slowly squelch a lot of your your, your bullhorn. Yeah. So this is the sort of thing that we've seen all, out of Congress for decades where you have uh, people who work on bills, who write bills in Congress, who then go uh, into the industries where uh, th- that are being regulated by those bills in order so that they can sort of uh, the hand in glove situation where you have them uh, getting favorable treatment. And we saw the exact same thing with the social media companies and the FBI, where that you had them working together uh, in a public private partnership. And the only person, the only entity that wasn't represented was the constitutional rights of 350 million Americans. They don't care about that stuff. And it's really terrifying. Two, the pandemic was one where the hand was on the scale heavily. And they think it was absolutism. This is the way it is. And people are saying it's wrong. No, a lot of what they were putting out there turned out to be wrong and to push forth on their agenda and has created to this day more distrust than any other single thing. Oh, they've done more to undermine the legitimacy of of, of good of good. Uh, vaccine shots, good good vaccines that have saved millions of lives. They themselves have done more to under, undermine that uh, credibility. But uh, but th- but that's exactly. You realize of- it's still happening. They took the YouTube channel. Uh, yeah, they you know uh, RFK oh. put out something on vaccines with uh, oh, Joe Rogan. Yeah, with Joe Rogan. Shut they shut Every, it down. Everything he does gets shut down. Um, which is why I think he's such a potential huge force on the Democrat side, but also in in a general election. He he, he would be a really sort of complicated, you know, if, if you wound up with a Trump-JFK matchup, that would be really interesting. Well, but, they, I know Trump actually praised him. Yeah. So yeah. that'll change. Or what if they got together? <laughs> that would be. But no, but it, it really is. I think it's such an important point. You know, you know I, I bet. There's no doubt in my mind that at least some of the people working in the administration, working in the in, uh, NIH, thought they were doing the right thing. And that's what's so scary about this. Many of them thought they were doing the right thing. But that's the whole point of free speech. That's the whole point of our government is that it doesn't matter whether you think you're doing the right thing. You still get free speech. Right. If free speech isn't to protect only the stuff that's, that's uh, certified and guaranteed to be correct – it's because we believe that through free speech, all of the speech together, uh, people are, are, are generally – it's like it's like crowdsourcing. Generally speaking, people kind of figure out what the truth is and what the right thing is. And when you start, when you start squelching free speech, you destroy all that. Yeah, we'll see. And I'll go over this just for people that missed it yesterday. Here's Jonathan Turley commented last night about what this 155-page judge ruling actually means. And it's going to be appealed by the administration. That's – how the stories move. They're going to appeal it to the fifth court, which is known as conservative court. Keep in mind, this judge approved uh, 88 to zero uh, in the Senate. Number two, he was originally nominated by Barack Obama and he never got a vote. Cut six. 
And, you know, six months ago, I testified on that system before the House. And all of us that testified uh, for the further investigation of that system were attacked by the Democratic members. And they insisted, well, that's just your opinion. There's no facts to support it. And even though we would point to the Twitter files, they'd say, well, those aren't facts either. Well, here's a fact. You know, a judge just issued a 155-page opinion. And by the way, those 155 pages only deal with a fraction of the censorship system. So that and go over in detail. It is it's outrageous what they chronicle and what they reveal. This is what bothers me that no one's talking about. I don't think Jeff uh, Mark Zuckerberg is coming out with a thing called Threads today. Yep. It's got 10 million views uh, viewers or users already. Now, what is Threads to compete with Twitter? Now, do we ever find out what Facebook was doing behind the scenes? No. So if Threads threatens Twitter or takes some of the part, what has Elon Musk done? He's not a conservative uh, 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 bulwark. What he's doing is just exposing. So Mark Zuckerberg is going to try to go in there and suppress again. Right. I'll grab the users and I'll keep it all a secret and hit you with Zuckerbucks. You know, not, you're not going to even right. feel it. So yeah, so so we don't know what Zuck, uh, what what uh, Facebook was doing behind the scenes, but we do know what Zuckerberg was doing out in the open. He was running a half billion dollar get out the vote operation for the Democrat in party. key districts. Yeah, in in crucial districts that made, ended up making the difference. And um, yeah, so and, and I think it's kind of interesting the pylon of all these people who are so excited, all of these companies in particular, who are suddenly very excited about threads. We haven't even seen threat. We don't even know how if it works. We don't know anything about it. But they're so excited about it. I think g- going right to what you were just saying, they're so excited about it because they they know that they can that they can work with Zuckerberg, Musk is not a conservative, but he's also sort of uncontrollable, and that freaks them out. But they know they can work with Zuckerberg and get what they want. No question. Uh, Charlie Hurd is here. Charlie, uh, I'm the, the cocaine thing I think is a sideline story but for a crack addict uh, living in the White House with his dad, uh, breaking all the rules, and then for cocaine to show up. That's one thing. But what just exposed by Miranda Devine in the New York Post today that she, and we're evidently going to expand on this story, but Dr. Gail Luft, now missing, as he was about to testify about the money the Bidens made in China. He recorded a 14-minute video, Israeli by, uh, by birth, working with Jim Wolsey, former CIA director under Bill Clinton. He was former Israeli officer, details family payments from Chinese officials with ties to the Chinese government to help the most evil program out there today, extortion, the Belt and Road program. That's what this energy company did. And that's what Jim and Hunter and maybe Joe Biden, certainly the granddaughter, right. were benefiting from. Joe, it looks like Hunter was making up to $100,000 a month. Jim Biden, $65,000 a month. Nowhere are their taxes being paid. Rob Walkery said is the bag man. They're trying to get a subpoena to him. And he has an FBI mole, and this sounds comical, but it's not, called One-Eye. So I was uh, half-joking on Gutfeld last night about how I think the cocaine uh, in the in – the, it sounds like a game of Clue – in the library of the White House um, was a dis- is a distraction uh, – is an intentional distraction because they really do – the media is in on this too. They want this whole thing to be about crack whores and Joe Biden – Speeding and being a wreck of a person. They wanted, 
But but the reason everybody's trying to make it, you know, these people are trying to make it about just that is because they don't want to look at the real stuff that's going on here. And we're talking about profound, incredible. We're talking about the most corrupt administration, the most corrupt White House we have ever seen where you have members of the entire family for sale, selling the White House, selling foreign uh, foreign um, uh, policy to, for the, selling out the country to foreign adversaries. Um, and and every, they just want to boil it down to, oh, it's just a crackhead thing. And and th- there is so much at play here. And when you have uh, situations where um, where you have this much money involved, this much power involved. Really bad things happen to people. David Weiss was supposed to do the investigation on Hunter Biden and handed out that sweetheart deal. When the whistleblower came forward, Shapley, Gary Shapley, and said he was told his hands were tied. And I was in the meeting. We got FBI agents there to memorialize it and agree with it. You'll see my email trafficking. They're going after the whistleblower. Yeah. And they're trying to go after him. And he's fighting back aggressively, saying that Shapley was the one who leaked the story about uh, about David Weiss not having the power he had. He said, really? I had nothing to do with that. And in fact, any the reporter, I'm releasing you for the unnamed source. I'm releasing you now from any responsibility. If I was your source, you can now come out. Now, what I think is interesting is Weiss came out last Friday, of six days ago, and said, I had freedom to charge in Delaware, but not in other districts. Right. Contradicting what Merrick Garland said, he had total freedom, no reason to give him special counsel status he's contradicting himself he's not just contradict he's not just contra- contradicted by the whistleblowers he's contradicted by himself and what what he said ver- uh compared to what uh Merrick Garland said there's no question that uh his hands were tied in this investigation and that Merrick Garland it, I mean I you know it'll be really interesting to see when Merrick Garland finally gets pinned down on this but it, it I don't see how he wasn't lying about this and what what will happen? I don't know, but I think that the smokescreen, uh, that you know, the, the, all of the the confusion here is designed to uh, you know just ha- have everybody confused about all mm. of it and not uh, uh, able to put a fine point on just and, how corrupt this stuff. And is. I, I said to myself, I want to limit how many times I say this, yeah. but can you imagine if a Trump family member oh, yeah, no. got a woman pregnant, yeah. and then sued not to have the Trump last name? And then said, here's some old Donald Trump memorabilia to resell to finance your kid's education. And doesn't he, and when Donald Trump was asked, he would never acknowledge even the number of grandchildren he had. If that ever happened. Or a bag of cocaine had found, been found in the Trump White House. Or we, someone it, takes off their top of the White House lawn. It would be over with. We would have impeachment hearings. And, and most, uh, most Americans, like, he would have lost that impeachment. He would have been impeached and convicted. And most right. Americans have been like, yeah, you know, even people who like Trump, were like, yeah, we liked him. But you can't have cocaine in the White House, man. Uh, Charlie Hurt is going to stick around. Well, and then we're going to have at the bottom of the hour, Dave Ignatius from Washington Post. We'll talk about all that. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Ro. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. So Charlie Hurd is here. So Charlie, uh, no doubt about it, as uh, as we get closer and closer to the debate, if Trump keeps his double-digit lead, he's not going to debate. I don't see any way he's going to debate uh, unless he somehow sinks. And then he got $35 million last quarter. He looks strong. I really believe that the best thing to happen to Trump is Biden. Biden thinks the best thing to happen to him is Trump. Right. Oh, I, totally. I, I think the performance of Joe Biden yeah. is 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 more key than anything else. But because if you look at the the field, the field seems to be waiting to see what happens legally with Trump. What do you pick up from it? Yeah. So I and, and I also think that if you do wind up with a rematch between Biden and Trump, I think Trump wins that um, for uh, like how and, many people believe that? Nobody. How many? What do you mean? Voters? Yeah. Oh, um, oh, experts. I wouldn't say voters. Oh, experts. Uh, experts. Oh, experts are wrong about everything. So they're the it, ones that said Trump would never. Well, would it never comes out to Arizona, Pennsylvania, yeah, uh, I, Georgia, Michigan. Yeah, yeah. No, that's the great thing. It was, experts also are the ones who said when Kamala Harris got in the race in 2019 that oh she's the one to beat. This is going to be it. And she not only did she fail to get one single delegate, she now stands as the most unpopular vice president to ever uh, sit in the. Uh, Naval Observatory. But uh, so I know I know all the experts are, are think that Trump will lose. But I uh, I don't agree with that. I think that uh, just on a couple of points, I think that, you know, all of a, a big a big reason why uh, a lot of people voted for Biden was because they uh, had been lied to by the press about how corrupt the family was. That's a really big deal. You know, the reason Trump one in 2016 is because he has an airplane with his name on it and he could go around saying, look, I'm already rich. I'm, I'm not doing this for the money. And people really like that. And they, they, they said that, that, you know, that uh, they were sick of these corrupt politicians in both parties. And they, and they sort of thought that was, you know, so there's that. I think also the fact that a lot of the things that um, that uh, that the media said about Donald Trump have turned out not to be true. And that's a big deal. And then the third thing is that the election is going to be run very differently this time than it was in the pandemic, the crazed pandemic, you know, never ending full mail ballot election. I'm still worried about Arizona. Okay, yeah. I'm No, I mean, you can worry about it. But if you're still worried about Arizona, uh, then it's probably not going to work out for Trump. But I'm not. I, I think the whole thing shifts dramatically in his favor. And, and nobody can even doubt anymore that Joe Biden's failing. I don't even think it's debatable. Right. Uh, I'm watching Charlemagne the God just say he's the problem. Can't get a sentence out. People mocking him. And I think they're stealing Demo- laundry detergent. Right. And they don't look like big clothes washing people. Good point. Uh, listen, uh, Charlie Hurt. Thanks so much. David Ignatius next. Brian Kilmeade show. Don't move. 
information you want truth you demand this is the brian kilmeade show hey welcome back everyone it's the brian kilmeade show david ignatius joins us now the washington post columnist uh has written 11 spy novels including a new one uh the Paladin and the Quantum Spy. Uh, and, of course, if you want to know anything going on in foreign relations, it is one-stop shopping. David, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Good to be with you. Uh, same here. First off, on what's happening in Russia, we understand that uh, it looks like the founder of the Wagner Group is in St. Petersburg, according to the Belarus president. What so does that, that say was, to you? So that was today's big surprise. Uh, you know, you also have to, to be careful uh, in accepting these things at, uh, at, at face value. But the, the leader of Belarus, uh, Lukashenko, uh, said today that Prigozhin, who had been sent to Belarus in a kind of exile by Putin after his armed mutiny, using Putin's words, is back now in Russia, back in St. Petersburg. There's evidence that planes associated with Prigozhin flew into, into Russia today. What could this mean? Either he's been being brought back to uh, be stand trial, be arrested by by Putin, or he's coming back to continue his rebellion. Either way, it's fascinating development. So, do you believe that? Are you shocked that he is, doesn't have a Trotsky axe in his head? Uh, that I, is somebody that is you know he never called out Putin directly. It doesn't seem like Putin's called him out. They seem to have raided his offices. Uh, we don't really know where the Wagner Group is. So, there's a lot of questions. So, frankly, uh, Brian, I, I would not have sold a life insurance policy uh, for this man. Uh, he seemed to me to be a, to, to be a goner. He had directly challenged Putin. Putin in his in his speech on the day that Saturday two weeks ago uh, when the revolt came, uh, called it an armed mutiny. Said that Prigozhin would be subject to uh, legal charges. You know, really lay, seemed to lay down the law, and then backed off. By mid-afternoon, the compromise had been reached that was to send Prigozhin into exile in Belarus. But I've always thought that Prigozhin would end up uh, dead one way or the other. Uh, this latest wrinkle, is, it's, it's hard to read. There's a, a lot of turmoil inside Russia. The people who are thought by, by Putin who have been working with Prigozhin, we believe, have been uh, arrested, subject to interrogation themselves, a prominent general in the Russian military, for example. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a very um, unstable situation, and I think plays directly into Russia's ability to, to hold its lines in Ukraine. That, for us, you're watching here in the West. We, can, we can't affect the future of Russia much, but we do want to see – I want to see Ukraine prevail in this conflict, uh, and, and we'll have to see whether Russian disorientation, military confusion leads to some fallback in their lines. So, uh, David, the one thing is pretty clear. The U.K. Uh, intelligence official came out, I think, a couple of days ago and said Russia's lost basically 50 percent of their uh, of their army. I mean, their, their fighting force, whether they're 200,000-plus casualties – and thousands of deaths. So what does it tell you if they've already used 50, but they've lost 50 percent of their capacity? So their their uh, approach has, has been primitive. We liken it to World War One. Just throw in uh, troops, throw in human bodies. We say cannon fodder. We literally mean feed the cannons. It's a meat grinder. And it can't continue without eventually causing public protest. Russia has as its great reserve its people in, in in World War II. That that was what led the Russians through to victory against the Nazis. Their ability to keep on fighting, even when they they seem to be surrounded and, and, and vanquished. 
uh, I think this is becoming a political question. The, the thing that Prigozhin did, Brian, when he was in open revolt against the Russian military, was to tell the truth about this invasion. He, he said, Russia's gotten nothing from this. We weren't threatened by Ukraine. Our national security wasn't at stake. And that's out there now, and every Russian knows it. So as more bodies come back, as this fight continues, uh, the, the level of casualties continues at this enormous rate, I think Putin's got a problem. How does he explain that to the Russian people? What's this war for? What's it, what's the, why are these, these people coming back in coffins? So, David, why, why are we not just selling the F-15s? Why are we not getting the attackums? What could Russia do? So there is a danger in in a period, as you well know, Brian, when 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 uh, an adversary is backed into a corner. That is a period when you you do have uh, some some danger of, of just kind of crazy wild um, swings, and, and and Russia is heading to that point. Uh, the the estimate of most analysts I talk to is, is, is that if Russia felt its very existence as a country, its ability to hold its military bases in the Crimea were threatened, it might consider escalating to the use of nuclear weapons. Nobody wants that. I mean, that would really cross a red line. It would be terrible for, for the world. So uh, I, I think this issue of of escalation is still one to, to, to take seriously. We are now beginning to train F-16 pilots. Thank goodness. I mean, those F-16s ought to be in the air next year. I don't think they can make a big difference in the fight this year, but I think they can make a huge difference. This war is not going to stop from what I see. So next year, Ukraine needs to have, have new capabilities to push the Russians back, to deter them. Uh, it's not going to be a member of NATO. It's not going to happen. So it has to have the military power, the, the, the NATO weapons, even if it doesn't have the NATO membership, to be able to prevail. We understand that there are drones are being harassed by fight, uh, Russian fighter jets in Syria. How long do we tolerate that? So we walk a, a, a narrow line in, in Syria. Syria has been a place where there have been good deconfliction, as they say, between U.S. and Russian generals. I've been uh, on the sidelines of that in my the many trips I've made to Syria with our special forces, and they deconflict every day. Where are you? Where are your planes? Where are your helicopters? That's broken down to some extent, but I'm told it, it, it continues. Um, I'm sure people have been on, on those deconfliction lines with the shots at the, at the, at the drones. It, the larger question, I think, Brian, is we need to think about where our policy in Syria is going. How do we help the people who've been so loyal to us there you know, have a have a stake in a future Syrian state that's put back together. It's not just a, you know, a, a, a piece of scattered remnants, but a, but a but a whole country. That's what we need to begin thinking about. I just don't know how you do that with Assad in power, backed by Russia. Uh, I mean, do you just section off a country and say this is where the Kurds belong and this is where uh, Syrian forces allied to us are? I mean, uh, that that's a major so, step. You know. It, this is one of those questions where everybody knows the, the eventual answer. The eventual answer for, for Syria, as for Iraq, a lot of these countries, is a, a kind of federal state, like like our United States. We have, we have different uh, regions of our country. We, we have state state governments that uh, are well adapted to, to their local areas. Syria is the same way. As you travel in Syria, you sometimes feel you're going from country to country. So eventually, it will be a federal state. We need to do everything we can to help that process. It's not going to be easy. But I just hope our, our, our diplomats keep that in mind. I worry sometimes mm -hmm. that those poor old Kurds are just sitting in the northeast corner of the country getting pounded, and we don't have a strategy for them to eventually become part of a full state. 
All right. And uh, just real quick, what do you expect to emerge from Secretary of Treasury Yellen's trip to China, knowing they've already banned certain metals from being exported? And we've banned the use of our cloud technology unless gotten permission uh, by Microsoft and Amazon for them. So what do you expect Secretary Yellen to accomplish? So I'd, I'd be surprised if they're big uh, deliverables, uh, as the diplomats say, after this meeting. Uh, you know, I, I think um, Yellen's trip symbolizes her belief and that of this administration that a full decoupling of the, of the Chinese and U.S. economies would be bad for both. We, we just do so much trade with each other. There's some trade that's strategic some things that we produce that, that are absolutely vital for our national security. And we've said China's not going to get those, and that's understood by the Chinese. That's not going to be changed. Uh, my understanding is that the Chinese wanted Yellen to come because they know she believes in continued U.S.-China economic trade, and they, they see that as the, in their interest. China's, you know, don't forget, Brian, China's growth is slowing. China's growing much slower now than India. That China dream that they'll be the super superpower, totally dominant. It's not happening. So they need they need our markets as much as we need we need trade with them, and and I think that's really fundamentally the reason he owns there. So Dave, your Washington Post is is taking advantage of your novel uh, and your writing. What series? What kind of series are they putting together with you? So we had a great experience uh, last week, and I'd. I'd Love it if your listeners checked it out. I published a short uh, serialized spy novel about the, the basic war between U.S. and Chinese intelligence that's been going on for 30 years. We had our network of assets, agents in China, wiped out just over 10 years ago. Uh, terrible to take down of that network. And this short novel tells the story in fiction of how, of how that happened. And it's just a wonderful experiment. Once upon a time, a hundred years ago, Charles Dickens, lots of writers that are well known to us, uh, serialized their, their books uh, in magazines, sometimes in, in newspapers. And we decided, let's experiment with that and see if we can, in the middle of summer, when people want something different to read, uh, offer them this. So it's called The Towel of Deception. Uh, and I, I hope uh, your, your, your Fox listeners will have fun with it. How do we get it? You just go to WashingtonPost.com, and it's there. I believe it's all av- available. You know, we'd, we'd like you to cross our paywall, but I think you probably you can get it, I believe, uh, uh, at least the initial installments for, for free. Understood. David Ignatius, always great to have you on. Uh, Washington Post columnist, uh, extremely successful, best-selling author. Dave, thank you. Stay well. Uh, thank you, Brian. Great to talk to you. You got it. one 408 7669 I'll take your calls when we get back. But before we do... There's also uh, something else that happened in the uh, Hummuz Strait yesterday, and that is the Iranians thought it would be a great idea to try to take a few tankers, and good news that we had ships there to stop them. But where did this boldness come from? What are they actually up to besides raising the price of oil because of the insecurity? Here's Jennifer Griffin, Cut 35. The quick reaction of the USS McFall, a guided missile destroyer, prevented the Iranian Navy from seizing not one but two commercial oil tankers. Iranian personnel on board the Iranian vessel fired multiple shots at the Richard Voyager, trying to get it to halt, leaving these bullet holes in the hull not far from where the crew slept. Earlier, the USS McFall intervened when a second Iranian naval vessel tried to overtake and seize a Marshall Islands-flagged oil tanker 
TRF Moss off the coast of Oman. The first incident occurred at 1 a.m. local time. Three hours later, the USS McFall responded to the second call for help, steaming at maximum speed to the Bahamian oil tanker 20 miles off the coast of Muscat. So where's this boldness come from? Remember the fast boats that were going up to our big ships and harassing them, shooting at them. They took our guys hostage one time uh, because they thought they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Perhaps they were, but they were not a threat. But they did it anyway with the Secretary Kerry. That just stopped under Trump. And overall, when I really think about it, why is Trump surging and so strong? Why head to head is he dead even or slightly ahead of Joe Biden? It's Joe Biden. And the weakness he's showing everywhere. He's claiming the economy's strong, but people don't believe it. 33% approval rating. And then on foreign policy, please tell me where the strength is. Please tell me how things got better and the world became less dangerous. I can't find any place. And neither can most Americans. And I think even some undecideds and independents. So when we come back, I'll take your calls. What do you think about that? Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Well, I've long believed, I think a lot of us have believed, that the Biden administration's been blowing it on a lot of fronts. But I guess it's a little bit more literal than even I had thought. I can tell you in Florida, my wife and I, we have a 6'5 and a 3-year-old running around the governor's mansion. So that's not something that we see. We do have to occasionally get slime out of the carpet and get marker off the wallpaper, but that's the extent of our adventures at the governor's mansion. And then you find out, too, this cocaine that was found at the White House. I don't know where it is, and some people say it's impossible to be hunters, but there's only one crackhead living there, former, and it would lead you to think it was him. I don't know who left it there, but hard to believe they don't have cameras. But the other thing you see is Robert De Niro's grandson, and he died of fentanyl poisoning. The person that sold it to him, according to his mom, and I guess her, his daughter— was that the person who sold to him knew there was fentanyl in it, one time and done. Now, can you imagine if that was around with a little kid around? Can you imagine if that was done and there was fentanyl in it? Instead of getting high, you get dead real quick. Kind of important. It just outlines the fact that you have somebody who is now attached to the president's side on a daily basis, and the, the revelations about what he was up to and what he is up to, perhaps, are getting stronger by the day, and yet the president keeps him closer to him than ever before. And then there's this revelation from a guy that his name is Dr. Gal Luft. He put together a 14-minute tape to talk about how he uh, came in touch with the Bidens, saw what they were up to, contacted law enforcement, and ends up they basically threatened him, don't ever bring up the Biden name again. And now he feels there's a threat on his life, and he has disappeared from being on the witness list for Republicans in the House to disappeared. Well, he did this tape. Let's listen to what he said about the Chinese business deals with the Bidens. Cut 19. My ordeal goes back to uh, a fatal decision I made in March of 2019 to share with the U.S. government my knowledge about the Biden family's relations with CFC. I insisted that the meeting take place in March because at the time there were rumors that Joe Biden was planning to run for president. I saw it as my civic duty to alert the government beforehand and give it enough time to probe the issue. So he went on. By the way, he's Israeli, works with James Woolsey, one of his partners in Washington, D.C., and well-known in intelligence circles. So he thought he'd pick up the phone and call law enforcement. Cut 20. I want to be clear. 
I'm not a Republican, I'm not a Democrat, I have no political motive or agenda. I did it out of deep concern that if the Bidens were to come to power, the country would be facing the same traumatic Russia collusion scandal, only this time with China. Sadly, because of the DOJ's uh, cover-up, this is exactly what happened. Right. More. Cut 21. The DOJ sent to Brussels a delegation of six uh, people, two prosecutors from the Southern District of New York, by the names of Daniel Reichenthal and Catherine Ghosh, and four FBI agents. One of them was Special Agent Joshua Wilson from the Baltimore field office, which also happens to cover the state of Delaware. Now, you want to ask yourself, why did the government dispatch to Europe so many people? The answer is that they knew very well that I'm a credible uh, witness and that I have insider knowledge about the group and the individuals that enriched the Biden family. And he, he had revelations about a deal that would get Hunter $100,000 a month, Jim Biden $65,000 a month, and CEFC in, in with, the, with the vice president and with the FBI. And he had a mole in the FBI to tip off because CEFC was doing some illegal foreign relations dealing in order to get some access to U.S. markets and money to finance the Belt and Road program that was constructed specifically to undermine U.S. influence around the world from Pakistan to Ghana to Congo to Central and South America. How could a vice president, now president, allow his family to do things like that? Usually when you have somebody in your family, they're doing deals with drug dealers, not with other countries and their energy sector. How does that gel? It doesn't, but it's real. And when you come out and have credibility, they come after you. But not this guy. He's speaking. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moment of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. one 408 7669 Busy hour coming your way. Liz Peake's going to be here. Give us some insight on what's going on in the economy. Uh, and uh, we're also going to be joined... Uh, and do a simulcast with Stuart Varney, so you'll get to see what I look like on FBN. It'll be very exciting, uh, for sure. And don't forget, One Nation coming up in just two days, 8 o'clock on Saturdays on Fox News. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This kind of incident rattles old ghosts in the Arabian Gulf. 35 years ago, the U.S. Navy sunk a number of Iranian warships. First time we'd sunk warships since the Second World War after Iran tried to close the Strait of Hormuz with mines. This will not end well for Iran. I hope not. Uh, I never wanted to end well for Iran, but somehow they seem to always keep coming back. Smelling weakness. Iran harasses our ships. China bans coveted access to our metals. Russia is buzzing our planes. And we send our Treasury Secretary to talk compromise with China. This is why Trump looks stronger than ever. Number two. 
a lot of people go through there. Staff goes through there. The press does not, so you can rule out the press at this point. Guests of staff go through there, but it is a heavily trafficked area. There are cubbies there. I've got to believe this was discovered rather quickly because there's a Secret Service officer right sitting right there. So it couldn't have been there for days and days. It had to have been there for, I would say, minutes before someone took notice. And we're talking cocaine. Hunter a suspect when it comes to the mysterious bag of coke in the White House. Why would he not be a suspect? More evidence of the former crackhead's international business dealings becoming unearthed by a mysterious Israeli witness with a lot of credibility who was really hiding out for his own safety and whistleblowers fighting back against the pushback. We'll talk about it. Number one. What the ruling by the judge is, he, he explains very clearly that the White House was directly threatening the existence of social media companies if the social media companies didn't censor true information. Yeah, that's true. Michael Schellenberger exposed it all with the Twitter files. Manipulating no more. A judge rules that Fauci, the FBI, Clueless Joe, can't be threatened. Social media outlets to repress their free speech and the battle lines have been drawn. We'll review the arguments as the administration says they'll, it's official. They'll appear the, appeal the ruling to the 5th District. Now think about it. Why would they even want to appeal the ruling? It's just to keep government, in this case them, and maybe in the future somebody else, for manipulating social media for their own gains. Why would that be in not their best interest? Because you're used to having your finger on the scale. Liz Peake joins us now, Fox's contributor, columnist for foxnews.com, and joins us. Liz, were you surprised by this ruling on July 4th? Well, I, I'm always surprised when someone does the right thing, I guess, Brian. But no, I mean, I think a lot of us have looked at the information and the evidence coming out of the White House putting their thumb on the scale of what information is available to Americans. And I have to say, I, I've written about this in the past. I think this censorship during COVID cost people's lives. I mean, among other things they shut down was any conversation about therapies, remedies uh, that might have actually worked because they weren't in line with official doctrine. That to me is probably the most heinous thing that's happened in our country Ever. I mean, here we have a brand new pandemic. People admittedly and admitted that they didn't know much about it. They didn't know how to cure it. We had tens of thousands of people dying. And yet, if somebody talked about ivermectin or other uh, possible therapies that were not subscribed to by Anthony Fauci, they were deemed misinformation and not allowed. How in the world can a scientific community possibly agree to that? How can we agree to that? So, look, there are a lot of things that the government has lied about, continues to lie about. Uh, obviously, the Hunter Biden laptop story is probably the most egregious political lie of the century. But I think when you're talking about the health of our country in the midst of COVID, holy crow, I, I am so happy that this judge uh, and by the way, yeah, as you said, it's going to be appealed. It's going to be tied up in the courts. And and sadly now, a lot of the description of the legal battle will be this is a Trump-appointed judge. This is a Obama-appointed judge, whatever. It shouldn't be that way, of course. There's right and right. wrong. And this guy basically stood up with what's, for what was right. Yeah, but this judge was originally appointed by Obama, didn't get a vote. Trump puts, her, uh, puts him up. And he gets uh, uh, yeah. all but two votes in two no-shows. So he got 88 uh, or 98 votes, 98 to zero. So And then he comes out and says, listen, I'll give you 155 reasons, pages of reasons why this needs yeah. to be done. 
And I just go back to when Mike Schoen, Michael Schoenberger, who is out on the left, uh, left coast uh, with Matt Taibbi, come out and told us was in the Twitter files, and they were told called so-called journalists and ripped. Here's what he said yesterday, though. Cut three. It's an amazing ruling. I think the key thing to understand about it is that there is a long way to go. I think it's inevitable the Supreme Court will hear, will take a hearing on this and may end up making a ruling about it. But what this, what the document does, what the ruling by the judge does, he explains very clearly that the White House was directly threatening the existence of social media companies, particularly this thing known as Section 230, which is their license to exist. They were threatening that and threatening to take it away if the social media companies didn't censor true information, including about vaccine side effects. So it was true and accurate information that's in the public interest. So that's pretty amazing. I think everyone should uh, have a breath of fresh air. But I go back to this. Today, Mark Zuckerberg released Threads, a direct competitor to Twitter. We lose if Thread gets bigger than Twitter because we don't know anything about what Facebook was up to because Zuckerberg just took his Zuckerbucks and put him into key Democratic districts to get Trump out. Now, what do you actually think was going on behind the scenes with the FBI and others to squelch or shadow ban uh, certain voices uh, of the last election and certain voices that might have had a counter narrative on the vaccine or a counter narrative on how to treat and stop this pandemic or the origins of the virus. Now he's going to go get a competitor for Twitter that America loses when Zuckerberg gets involved. Yeah, but but I, again, I'm not surprised by this. After all, <clears throat> Elon Musk has provided our country with the first clear channel for conservative voices not being suppressed. And that is a gift which is going to keep on giving whether or not Meta launches this new platform. Unfortunately, what we might see is a real uh, kind of herding of uh, political thought to the right on Twitter and to the left on Thread, although, look, Meta hasn't really launched something internally organized in quite a long time, so we don't know if this will be successful. But Uh, You know, think about I was thinking about this today, reading the reviews of this meta launch. Think how much people hate Elon Musk now. They hate him because he has kind of broken through this stone wall of censorship. And one thing, the group thing that has dominated America for a long time. So good for Elon Musk. If Zuckerberg wants to compete with that, fine. Unfortunately, it means probably less actual debate which is, by the way, what we lack sorely in this country is the kind of debate that would put, uh, uh, you know, RFK Jr. talking about vaccines with someone from the administration who's pro-vaccine. Let's have it talked out. People are afraid to do it because they don't always have the right answers. But, uh, you know, the American public is the loser in this for sure. And I think if, if these two platforms just sort of become political holding cells, that's a loss for the American people as well. So you write about Bidenomics, and I don't get it because the president might think that his economy is going well. And it's true we're not in a recession. And it's true inflation is going down. And it's true the jobless numbers, uh, the unemployment numbers are really strong. But when asked almost every poll, including the latest one, uh, how is President Biden doing on the economy? He said uh, 38 percent approval rating, 32 percent last week. Why is he running on something like this? Just because, out of spite? <laughs> I really think it's because he has nothing else. And he has enough data points. I mean, he can go out 
and talk about job additions and pretend that he's created, quote unquote, tens of millions of jobs, most of us know that's just not true. But for the average person, they're looking at the unemployment rate, and that's traditionally been a pretty big thing for presidents to crow about. So he can crow about that. But then he makes up all this stuff, Brian. He talks about how he's cut the deficit in half. The deficit is right now. Literally right now, it is twice what it was a year ago. The deficit is in terrible shape. He has absolutely no impulse to cut spending. And Americans, I, you know, at the end of the day, I, I go back to when Obama was president and we had the rise of the Tea Party. Americans are worried about spending too much money. We don't like the fact that our country owes $31 trillion, and particularly when we owe so much of it to foreign adversaries, including China. We don't like the fact that our purse is not being protected by Congress. And we really don't like it when a president just starts spewing hundreds of billions of dollars, which he has done for for missions and ambitions that a lot of the country is not enthusiastic about. So when when people talk about when they say I'm not happy with the economy, by the way, I think one thing that influences those readings is the stock market. Well, the stock market's rebounded a little bit now. And Biden's uh, approval ratings on the economy have similarly moved a little bit higher. But, you know, for most of his time in the Oval Office, it has not been a good time to own stocks or bonds. Our national uh, wealth has gone down. So guess what? People don't feel good about that. And Liz, finally, when you uh, look at what we're seeing now economically, uh, the president wants to run on it. But both of, most of all, he wants to he, he wants to raise money and get people excited. He's not a great campaigner, but this is the moment where even Barack Obama was behind the scenes going to private fundraisers. What is your take on Trump's numbers? He pulled in thirty five million yeah. in the second quarter. Uh, that's going to blow away the field, although DeSantis has got a big release coming shortly. What is your take on a guy that we know so well who has so much money that's still getting that much money? Well, I think people are across the nation outraged by the harassment of Donald Trump. You don't have to like Donald Trump to think that the the miscarriage of justice, the, the tilting of the justice scales has been so absurdly political in the last couple of years, not just anti-Trump, but pro-Biden. I think a lot of people are angry about that. And the size of these dollars suggests that it's a lot of average people, you know, chipping in something just to say, hey, I disagree with what this government is doing. And I support the way our government was functioning under Donald Trump. Look, I think with every month that passes, people look back and say, wow, things were pretty good under Donald Trump. Yes, we had COVID and Biden lies about the impact that acts like that's Donald Trump's fault that we lost jobs under COVID. The truth is we were coming back strong. Right. It was the sharpest, shortest downturn in our country's history. Donald Trump did a good job. And that's what people remember. Right. Uh, we know this, the regulations underappreciated. And I know that they just did a study and they said, how much has the increase in regulations cost the average American family? Yeah. And it's ten thousand dollars. Ten thousand yeah. dollars since since President Biden took over, and that's when people look at that and say, "I want that in my pocket." Um, Liz, thanks so much, Liz Peak, Fox News contributor, columnist for FoxNews dot com. Appreciate it, Liz. Oh, thanks for having me. Take care. She has a uh, column out on the Supreme Court, affirmative action, and as we just discussed, the Bidenomics. So you listen to the Brian Kilmeade show. I see your calls up there. I'll take them next. Uh, actually, I'll have a call. I'll have a segment and a half to do it, but I'm going to play some. 
of this revelation of this Israeli who was up close and personal, a witness, Hunter Biden, Jim Biden, in action, along with uh, Soma, Rob, uh, Rob Walker, uh, maybe Tony Pawlinski, and talked about exactly what Biden was up to. And he said it in 2019. And then he quickly had to run for his welfare and disappear. Well, he is speaking out now. You're going to hear from Dr. Luft next. And your calls. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Perhaps the most alarming information I revealed was of a mole within the DOJ who shared classified information with Hunter Biden and his Chinese partners. I told the DOJ that Hunter was closely associated with a very senior retired FBI official who had distinct physical characteristic. He had one eye. One of the FBI agents at the time even told me You know, that would be very easy for us to find. There aren't that many one-eyed people in the Bureau. Now think about this. The mole helping Hunter Biden, who helped his international business clients. We imagine the the Romanian billionaire, uh, the Ukrainian official, and most of all, the CEFC Chinese executives. He said he could help with the FBI. And this guy, his name is Dr. Gal Luft, thought naively in retrospect that I'm just going to call up the national security officials and tell them about these deals that Hunter Biden was doing. After all, I care about the country. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. And I think this former vice president is going to run for president. They should know the deals he's doing and his family's doing. And when they do that, they come in and they basically say, you better not bring up the, the Biden family name. And this stops here. So instead of coming in to testify about this, he disappears, but he caught a 14-minute video. And that's what we're showing you clips of. He's an Israeli officer who has big contacts in Washington, D.C., has done part of a nonprofit intelligence business, we believe, with James Woolsey, who's been a guest on our show. And he talked about Chairman Yee and Dr. Patrick Ho, two people all over the laptop, who Hunter Biden did business with. How could this not be relevant? How could this not be the biggest story that you've heard? It started, the business dealing started in 2017, and he came out in 2019. And he felt the wrath and the pressure the minute he spoke out doing the right thing. Here's more, cut 24. The information I provided the FBI in March of 2019 was fully corroborated nine months later when the famous laptop belonging to Hunter Biden, which contained all the emails and receipts, was handed to the FBI. And guess who seized the laptop from the computer repair shop? It was Special Agent Joshua Wilson, who was with me in Brussels earlier. How unbelievable is that? Gives the name out. And we also know the names of the people that... Johnny Mac Isaac, who had the repair shop, who brought it in. He said, hey, by the way, my dad's a big-time veteran. My whole family's very patriotic. I got this laptop, and you want to take a look at it. And he was treated like a criminal, and no one heard anything of it. And we knew through the reports and the verification that the 
uh, last week, two weeks ago, that the laptop was known to be authentic back in the fall of 2019. Think about how we've been lied to along the way. Why was it necessary to not tell the truth about any of this at any time? And why should we even believe anything except for the facts as we unearth them, not as it's told to us, to get to the bottom of this? So I want to see Dr. Gal up, if possible. I want to see David Weiss, the prosecutor, if possible. I want to hear Christopher Ray answer this story about, uh, about his FBI agent. Now we know his exact name. Joshua Wilson. And guess what? Christopher Ray is coming July 15th. Coming, uh, excuse me, July 12th at 10 o'clock. Christopher Ray. Was that relayed to you, Mr. Ray? After you had these uh, very extensive, impactful meetings over in Brussels with this Israeli agent who checks out pretty strongly? Who was good enough to work with the former director of the CIA? A lot of calls next. We'll get to them. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. If it wasn't for your vote, we would not have Joe Biden in the White House. That was a constitutional right that you had to send those votes back to the states. States conduct our elections. You never want to let Washington, D.C. run elections. The Constitution affords no authority the vice president or anyone else to reject votes or return votes to the states. Never been done before. Should never be done in the future. I'm sorry, ma'am, but that's actually what the Constitution says. President Trump was wrong about my authority that day, and he's still wrong. So that's Mike Pence's fight he's going to have with voters as well as uh, with Trump uh, officials and obviously with Trump supporters. He's had one there, and he, I think he handled it fine. And I think it's 100 percent true. You just can't overturn an election because you don't like the result. And every one of Trump's attorneys was saying that it'll prove anything uh, substantial. And believe me, Mike Pence is as loyal as a day is long. You'll never get somebody more loyal. Uh, and I think he did a great job. He was the perfect match as vice president. But it is amazing how many vice presidents don't get along with presidents. I mean, for the most part, Dick Cheney and George W. Bush did not end strong. Al Gore. And uh, I don't even think Al Gore and Bill Clinton talk at all. Uh, let's think Barack Obama. Uh, do you think he's tight with Joe Biden? I know he visited the other day. I think it's just because Barack Obama's in his political prime and Joe Biden shot and he knows it. I don't think they necessarily respect each other. I think maybe Obama, I don't think he has any respect for Joe. I just, you just could tell. Not many people push back and say what great friends they are. Think about it. Uh, I don't think Reagan's and Bush's were that close. I think they were respectful each other. So it's very hard to, I guess, be tight with your vice president. And you didn't tell me that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are tight. Don, let's see on WHLO in Ohio. Hey, Don. Yes, I have a question on Social Security and the college loans. I want you to be the president of the United States. Mr. President, the college loans that you tell the people that we're going to pay them off, you're not paying them off. You are transferring yes. the debt to the American people, and you're not telling us the interest, and it's going to cost us how much to do this, even if it takes five years to pay it off. Hey, Don, it's a great point. You listen to WHIO. A um, couple of things. Why not pay off car loans? Why are you paying off student loans? Because you want the young vote. That's the only reason. And you took, you took a responsibility, and two years you haven't had to make one payment. Two years, no payments. That is helping people out. 
And number two, if you if number three, if you do want to help those loans, the parental loans and college loans, the interest rates are way too high. If you are giving those loans out, then go in there and cut the interest rate. People would understand that more than they can just going ahead and evaporating debt. The thirty seven year old that paid theirs, the the trade school graduate that had no problem paying his uh, his trade school off. Now they got to go pay for everybody else. It's just to me, it's just really idiotic thinking. Eric, listen on WDBO in Orlando. Hey, Eric. Brian, great show today. Uh, I'm the same age as you, and I've never seen America like this. Um, that caller you just had talking about the economy and Biden's claims. Uh, he says that inflation's uh, stopping. After it went up, how much? It should be going. It, I would like it to go backwards. I just bought a box of Cheerios for my granddaughter. It used to be three fifty, now seven dollars, and that's here in Florida. I can't imagine what Cheerios cost up by you in New York. And unemployment is up after almost half this country lost its job due to a pandemic. The numbers are just staggering. And uh, you brought up Barack Obama. I bet he's pooping himself what he's going to get tied to with Joe Biden's actions. While did Barack Obama not know what was going on? Your thoughts on all well, this, Well, he was sir? briefed, but he's not in the middle. And remember, I, I'm going to just go, go out on a limb here. I can imagine you know, Obama was not telling John Brennan, go out here and create a distraction by going to finance a dossier of false information in, in Russia and go out and talk about business ties that Donald Trump doesn't have with Russia. He got briefed on it. And if he was a man of extreme integrity, he would have said, uh, Hillary, call this back. I, I can't I can't do it. But what is the CIA director doing except fomenting and briefing everybody on it? Why is he not stopping it? It's supposed to be nonpartisan. He was chief of staff. That goes to show you. How did James Comey not know? Number two. And then when you think about Barack Obama, he was the one who called Hillary Clinton and says, you you got to concede. You lost the election. And then she proceeded over the next five years to say he was illegitimate president. And I really won the presidency. So I fault him for not stopping it, but I have not seen anybody that said he was plotting it. And I just think on some level, you're right. I, I, don't, I think that it makes him look bad to know it. But you know how long it's been out there that he got briefed on this? It's in the Durham report. It's in the David Horowitz Inspector General report. I'm not sure it's in the Mueller report. I read the whole thing, but it is about three and a half years ago now, two years ago. So I don't really remember exactly. But it's, it's really hard to uh, it's really hard to not understand why Donald Trump was beside himself. And you know his, the way he profiles, like nobody you've ever met in your life. When he feels his credibility is being threatened, he comes out like a caged lion every single day. But so far it's working. He's up about 20-plus points. He's got his hands full of these investigations. And I'm sure the other indictments are going to come soon, and that'll be the election cycle again. And then 11 people in the field will just stand in place and watch the news cycle being dominated by Donald Trump. So here's what Britt Hume said last night about the state of the race and about how how to maybe go after Trump. Cut 44. Well, those losses in the midterms and eventually the presidency are not uh, our disappointing performances and losses. They're real. They happened. There's no doubt about it. There's no way around it. And the and the case can be made that he's a loser because since he got elected in 2016, He's compiled a string of them. Either he or his his supported candidates have lost too many races. But the history of primaries suggests 
that people don't cast strategic votes in favor of the candidate they think most likely will win. By and large, they don't. And right, right now, people are voting their hearts, and they're voting for, they tend to vote in primaries for the candidates that they feel closest to or that they, you know, they, they, they'd like to see president. They're not voting about who they think could get elected. Yeah, I haven't seen that, that micro study, but so far they just said he's the most electable. What I would like to see is focusing on areas and people that he hasn't gotten before, going into Pennsylvania, not to big Trump areas, but maybe even Philadelphia. Remember, he contended the election results in Philadelphia, but how often was he there? Not often. I mean, there are places in Philadelphia you can go and maybe go into some John McCain-like town halls. Remember John McCain's going to these town halls and half the people would be critical of him and half wouldn't? I, I would love to see Trump do that. I mean, that would be something brand new. And I'm not saying he's great at it. I don't think anybody was better than McCain at that. I think Bill Clinton was great at that, too. But overall, at the race, I think more pressure right now, more attention is actually on Joe Biden and whether he's going to continue to uh, race and, and raise money and how long you can keep Gavin Newsom and um, and all these others on the sideline. Here's Harold Ford last night on Special Report and about you know, what's going on in these wars and some of the and the economy and what this administration's running on. Cut 45. You know, unemployment is down. The economy has proven more resilient. He's invested in infrastructure and chips, and I think he's been right on Ukraine and lower prescription drugs. But we can't ignore the fact that we have a big national debt. When I was in Congress, both parties began to talk a lot about it. I hope both parties come back to it, because if we don't prioritize, we're going to find ourselves in a much, much worse position for our kids and grandkids going forward. It'll be good, but no one's touching it during this election cycle because nobody wants to touch entitlements, including President Trump who said flat out, uh, I'm not touching these. So don't say I'm going to touch Medicaid. Don't say I'm going to touch Social Security. But any responsible president, next president, would do exactly that because our automatic withdrawals are too much from our uh, deposits. And that's just the way it is. And there's no doubt about it. I think the president will, at one point, will get back on Facebook. At one point, we'll get back on Twitter I think Truth Social, I think he's contractually obligated to, uh, to, 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 he has to, I think he can go on one and not the other, but I wouldn't doubt that he's going to go on there and reclaim some of that momentum. And now that you can go on Twitter and you can honestly say that it's a new playing field, that might be interesting. And also, if he sees that Zuckerberg is starting to lose to Elon Musk and Musk doesn't go out of his way to alienate Trump, even though I think he made it clear he wants to go with DeSantis. That would really help the business model that he has. So I think that's important, too. So when we come back, I'm going to be joined, go to Stuart Varney. And I'm going to go on talking about what's happening in the 2024 uh, race and, and everything like that. Also talk about another major issue, and that is the freedom on these social media platforms. It could be coming down the pike. Right now, there's an immediate injunction, which means if the FBI today didn't like what was posted on Twitter, they are not allowed to call up and say, take this down. Could be dangerous. If Bin Laden decides to get a Twitter handle, he's one of his uh, million kids, and says, uh, I want everybody to kill an American today. Can you take that down? Well, I, I think it would be an argument there to take it down. But when it comes to political speech and things about down the pandemic, I think you get yourself in legal jeopardy if you try to do it. All right, when we come back, we do a simulcast, and then I close the hour with your calls. Brian Kilmeade
Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, in just a little while, we're going to talk to Ashley Webster filling in for Stuart Varney. we to talk a little bit about what's happening in 2024. And also, Joe Biden's got seven grandkids. He only admits to six. Can you imagine briefing your staff on two things? Stop telling me not to hang out with Hunter Biden, my uh, crackhead, horror-loving son. Also, they got my family knee-deep in trouble by exposing his laptop and, and leading business deals he had no business in. And number two is, I have six grandkids, not seven. The other one's out of wedlock, and I paid for her not to have my name. That means it's time for Let's Brian listen again. Kilby. Great to see you, Brian. Uh, I want to get into this story, if we can. The New York Times reports that New Hampshire could, quote, publicly embarrass President Biden by holding the first primary election without Biden's name on the ballot. Sounds ridiculous, but it's true. I think Biden wants to go first in South Carolina. But how bad does this look for a sitting president, Brian, not to appear on a primary ballot? It's weird. It's bizarre. Because he wants the he wanted, I guess, in the perfect world, he wanted to open up in South Carolina where he turned his 2020 campaign around. Fine. Hmm. In New Hampshire, Ashley, he did so poorly. I don't know if you remember because the pandemic hit right after. He Hmm. pulled out before the votes were tallied. He was horrible uh, in New Hampshire. He was invisible in Iowa. So when you have trouble, instead of going back there and trying to win those people over, he tries to give them the Heisman. Now, a lot of people look at New Hampshire and say that's winnable for a good Democratic candidate. Why would you do anything to make them dig in against you? Do you really have that many electoral votes to give? So if he does not show up, New Hampshire still runs their primary. And right now, if it was today, RFK would come in first. Williamson would come in second and grab all those electoral votes. So he'd be trailing as a sitting president and not competing, which is a bad message. I think I think that he's shooting himself in the foot. But I want to get on to this issue, Brian. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre refusing to answer a reporter question on Biden's estranged grandchild. Listen to this. It was a story in the New York Times over the weekend about Hunter Biden's daughter in Arkansas. Uh, does the president acknowledge this little girl as his granddaughter? I don't have anything to share from here. Yep, nothing to see here. Move along. I think it's despicable that the administration is pretending that this little girl does not exist. Uh, what say you? What about a bad example? Yes. What about fathers out there who are in a, uh, in a dicey situation with uh, women uh, and find themselves in court and say, listen, if it's good enough for the president, I'll make my payment. I'll walk away. I'm just going to cut off total relations with them. Why should I feel bad? President of the United States just did it. Same thing when Bill Clinton uh, was doing all those kinds of antics in, in the White House. People said, well, mm. what are you getting mad at me for? Look at what the president of the United States was doing, for better or for worse. And whatever you want to say about Donald Trump, they always want to compare it to his family. If they had anything close to this, cocaine in the White House, yeah. really, uh, <laughs> yeah. with his family around, and now you have kids out of wedlock, paid not to have the family last name, on top of that, uh, we also make sure that you tell everybody in your staff, I have six grandchildren, not seven. When you know I'm, he's guy's 80 years old. I mean, yeah. well, how much longer is he waiting to do the right thing? This would this girl has nothing to do with any problems he has. His son's had seems like right. an ideal girl. Evidently, the good news is she's from a family of wealth. She says this girl get everything that she wants. Yeah. And evidently she is aware who her uh, who her father is and what the family does. 
Yeah, I find the whole thing very sad. But last one, Brian. A, a new uh, IG report says that the Border Patrol's vetting process is ineffective because so many migrants with ties to terrorism, can you believe, keep getting let into our country. It is a huge national security problem. What do you make of it? Well, I mean, if you look at what's happening in France right now, where are these mm. people coming from that are not only upset, they are seems to be systematically burning down buildings. They yeah. almost seem like operators. And I'm just wondering, what are these other people coming through for? At the very least, when you're president of the United States, isn't our, isn't our uh, national security your primary interest? How dare you drop the, uh, drop the wall and drop the door on the southern border, tally up the number of uh, people on the uh, most wanted list and on the terror watch list, and then let them in? Is that We've never seen anything like this. The numbers are stunning. And that's on uh, Joe Biden's baseball card. But he thinks he's going to get away with it because, actually, in the midterms, he didn't pay the political price. I right. hope the American people have higher standards than that in 2024. We'll have to leave it there, Brian. Great stuff, as always. Thanks so much for joining us. You got um, it. Thank you, sir. Let's move on. All right. Uh, so we'll talk about that. It's always, it's always interesting that we're not talking much about what's happening at the border, but the border numbers are going up again, even in this, even this in extreme heat. But lastly, when I was talking about uh, the president's son, Hunter, and the business deals that were done, I want to go back to where we started. And this Dr. Gal Luft, you wanted people that directly were involved with business dealings that are not on board with, with, uh, with Hunter Biden. It's this guy, Dr. Gail Luft, who's in Brussels and now went down under to keep his profile low, but cut this tape about what he knows about CEFC, the Chinese company, and the Biden family. Cut 19. My ordeal goes back to uh, a fatal decision I made in March of 2019 to share with the U.S. government my knowledge about the Biden family's relations with CEFC. I insisted that the meeting take place in March because at the time there were rumors that Joe Biden was planning to run for president. I saw it as my civic duty to alert the government beforehand and give it enough time to probe the issue. Yep, and he did. And they sent in all their agents because they knew he was credible. And he's Israeli. And he's got great D.C. connections. And then he told this story. And they didn't want to hear it. Cut 20. I want to be clear. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I have no political motive or agenda. I did it out of deep concern that if the Bidens were to come to power, the country would be facing the same traumatic Russia collusion scandal, only this time with China. Sadly, because of the DOJ's uh, cover-up, this is exactly what happened. Wow. Think about this. He has this information. He has to show up in court. I can't believe that Republicans wouldn't be able to provide him the Secret Service or the security necessary to get him in there to testify, especially when he's doing the right thing and he checks out. I should get James Woolsey on, too. If he's that credible and he's a partner, James Woolsey's a friend of the show, we should get him back on. Remember, One Nation, Saturday at 8. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Bottom of the hour, Bill Courtney will be with us. Uh, his story is one you're going to love. Uh, a football coach in the inner city, uh, a bunch of kids who definitely needed some leadership. 
He is uh, the subject of an undefeated, it's called Undefeated, the football documentary, one of the best ever. Uh, it's on Netflix and Prime. Esquire named one of the top 20 sports films of all time. And he's the coach it's been based around in Memphis, in the neighborhood of Memphis, uh, where young men are three times more likely to be dead in jail or have a job or be in college than, than to have a job or be in college. He decided to pick up the football team in high school, and they won. Uh, and 31 of the 32 seniors went on to college in their final two seasons. So I think that you're going to love that message a little different than pure politics. Uh, ben Dominich uh, has not led a high school football team under impossible circumstances to a championship, but is important no, anyway. No, that sounds like a much more interesting guest than I am. Yeah, Brian. you don't mind if I get him on early, Ben, and maybe call you back some other time? <laughs> I'd, I'd, be, I'd be fine with that, but uh, but I definitely – that sounds like a story that I'll be interested in. I'll check uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, the, I saw the trailer, and um, and I saw a piece of the documentary, and it looks awesome. I'm going to get through it tonight. But the coach is just uh, doing something that what sports is really about, not making people pro mm-hmm. but changing mm-hmm. people's lives. Uh, so I want to talk about a, a couple of things going on. And first and foremost, if I was to tell you in the first week of July, uh, in February, Ben, we probably did speak in February, by the first week in July, everyone will be in the race about 13 deep, including all the high-profile names outside Yunkin and maybe Pompeo, that mm-hmm. Donald Trump would have between a 20- and 30-point lead. What would you have told me? I probably would have, if you if you specified that Pompeo and Youngkin were out, I probably would have said that seems believable to me. Um, I, I think that a twenty to thirty point lead at this stage uh, was very realistic for what we were seeing at the time back in February. Uh, and the other thing is that just in terms of the calendar, you know, I, I think that you you haven't really had an opportunity to break through if you if you are viewing this as a situation where. Your opportunity to break through comes once people start debating. Uh, and I think that the the critical question is going to be how many people are able to make that stage. Uh, then uh, that, I think, is going to be something that you know, really starts people really paying attention, as they do traditionally around the end of August, beginning of September. Uh, and uh, and that flows into the dynamics of, of the way that these presidential decisions are made. we got to remember at this point, you know, that – that Hillary Clinton was still very much in the lead over Barack Obama back in the day, you know, and you and you had, you know, everything that stirred up back in 2016 that, you know, led to this point. So I think that one of the things that, you know, we have to keep in mind is that hasn't happened yet. And when it does, you know, I, I don't know if you've been paying attention to this, Brian, but there's really a lot of stuff is up in the air given these debate rules concerning how many different, you know, donors you have to have of a certain amount. You know, that's something that, you know, people can get by spending money online. But also, you know, registering in these polls and with a number of these candidates, just given that they're not prominent politicians, uh, they're not people who have, you know, a a ton of name ID necessarily, uh, they're diluting this field in a way that I think is uh, going to be a challenge for some people. You know, I think that Chris Christie can make it. Um, but that, you know, other than that top five, you know, that's probably the one, you know, sort of name you can definitely say could do it. Uh, everybody else, it's it's still up in the air. And that makes for a very different debate than one uh, that has, you know, 10 people on stage. So you need 40,000 donors. I know that. And I think you need a polling about 1% in some pr- prominent polls uh, overall. But the other thing you need is to sign a pledge that you'll support. The nominee, Will Hurt, says, I'm not signing it. Chris Christie says, I'm not going to sign it because Donald Trump's not going to sign it. And Trump says, I'm not going to debate. So that'll change things. Yeah, I think it really would. And, you know, obviously, 
if Donald Trump doesn't debate, you know, Ron DeSantis has suggested that he won't either. I think that would be silly. Uh, I think that you should always take the opportunity to debate. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, when it, when it came to the last time that Trump uh, ditched a debate in Iowa, you know, he ended up losing that. Uh, and so it was one of the situations where I think, you know, you, you do want to get on stage. You want people to see your best stuff. Uh, and, and that really lends itself to a lot of momentum uh, in, you know, uh, an era in which you don't have the traditional uh, approach to campaigning as it was in the past. And so with with that said, these kind of pledges, I think we have to appreciate they're not really worth the paper that they're written on. Uh, you know, it's just and uh, it's something that you can toss aside or find some justification uh, to not go along with it. And I think that that certainly happened with a lot of people who, you know, pledged their support or endorsed uh, Donald Trump and then wavered or, or certainly thought about wavering in the wake of the uh, release of the Access Hollywood tape back in the day. Um, and I think that there were, you know, a, a number of moments that people could have used to sort of justify going back on their word. I think that in this case, the more interesting thing is this uh, is this requirement from the Florida Republican Party that wants to make uh, a pledge uh, essential to appearing on the ballot in the state, and they're using the justification that you know that's consistent with the debate guidelines. Obviously, that sets up a, a, a tough situation in, in a in a race in which there are actually three Floridians running. So that's something that I think is is going to uh, you know be a major a major factor in terms of uh, just a, an indication of how much. Uh, people are willing to to kind of swallow that and accept that, uh, but the real you know question all along, as, as with all of these things, is whether Donald Trump shows up. If he shows up to this debate, I think it takes on a very different flavor than it does if he if he doesn't. And personally, I don't think that he's going to be able to resist. Uh, the poll, especially if he has this type of dominant lead, uh, to just shove people around a bit, make clear that he's the the biggest guy in the room and that he's not going to take any of this crap. Well, that's true, except for he did miss a Fox debate before. He is mad at Fox always, it seems. So he mm-hmm. might just say, hey, who needs this? I don't want to give them ratings, even though I thought he did a great job with Brett, you know, good job with Brett Baer. Brett Baer did a great job as usual. It was a real conversation. I find that a couple of things are happening right now that were not foreseen. When Joe Biden avoids every single moment to talk to the press, when his press secretary doesn't answer any single question, when things come up and he uh, dismisses him and is not available, he doesn't do only one-on-ones outside, some easy ones, on a one easy one on MSNBC. And then you have the other guy on the other side, in the middle of three court cases, taking every question of imaginable in, and knowing what he was like as president, available every single day, sometimes twice a day. And then you see the weakness that we're showing overseas, and you see only 33% of the people think our economy's going well. I think more and more people just turned around without seeing a campaign ad for Trump and saying, I kind of like it the way it was. Yeah. Well, I think that one, I think you're right on all those scores. One, one thing I think in particular, though, uh, that we have to mention is that, you know, this past week, really was, I believe, the week that the the Hunter Biden story, meaning not just the one that we've been talking about uh, for for years here, uh, but the the actual story about the the depth of what has gone on in his situation and the idea that we live in a two-tiered system uh, that is divided by partisanship when it comes to justice and law and order. I think this is the, this past week is when that broke through. When you have Jen Psaki going on air, as she did, you know, a week ago, uh, 
and saying, you know, the optics of having Hunter at that state dinner for, for India um, right after that plea deal was was announced were very bad. She's admitting that. You know, she's she's hearing that from all the different communications folks on the Democratic side who understand that. You know, you have reports like, you know, cocaine in the White House. You have the, the you know, the questions about well, how this deal got made. You have, you know, plenty of stuff in terms of real news developments on the whistleblower front uh, that, that other uh, non-Fox, you know, media folks are finally paying attention to, that they should have been paying attention to all along. And I think that there really is this feeling that, you know, Joe can't run on the thing that's central to his brand anymore. The idea that he's this empathetic, grandfatherly, return to normalcy guy, that, you know, he's going to be able to restore quote unquote, you know, decency to the White House or heal the soul of the nation. He can't run on that because people know that that's not who he is, because they've had the opportunity to see who he is and who the rest of the people around him are. And now you have, you know, people openly saying, gosh, we know what are we going to do? How can we have a situation where maybe Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are the are the people who could actually lose to Donald Trump, which is something that I know Democrats are openly talking about. Uh, certainly, the Democratic friends that I have are very concerned about it. They see that as a real possibility, and so that's why you're seeing the increased coverage, not just of Gavin Newsom, uh, but of Gretchen Whitmer, and just sort of saying, "Hey, can we get somebody else to come in here and be serious at a situation where?" RFK Jr. is raising a lot of money, and, and he's actually going to be on the ballot in New Hampshire uh, in, a, in a moment when Joe Biden isn't and could come out on top. Yeah, it's so true. And I will say this. You have transgenders taking their top off on the White House lawn. Then you have cocaine found outside, outside the White House library. Don't tell me there's a but there's class being restored to the White House. Meanwhile, the Hunter Biden story is hitting warp speed. And Dr. Gail Luft, who people might not have heard of, but I've been talking about it today in Miranda Devine's column in the New York Post. But he is somebody that knows intimately the international business dealings of Hunter Biden. And he foolishly in 2019 met with the FBI and intelligence agents to tell them all about it before the vice, former vice president was running for president. He thought he'd doing the right thing. Instead, he ends up having to hide because he feels as though his life is being threatened. He put a recording out there, and here's a piece of it. Cut 24. The information I provided the FBI in March of 2019 was fully corroborated nine months later when the famous laptop belonging to Hunter Biden, which contained all the emails and receipts, was handed to the FBI. And guess who seized the laptop from the computer repair shop? It was special agent Joshua Wilson, who was with me in Brussels earlier. He also pointed out that there was a mole for Hunter Biden in the FBI, and the guy was missing an eye, and that was his nickname. So he's like, I'm giving you all these clues about what went on, and listen to this. Cut 20. I want to be clear. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I have no political motive or agenda. I did it out of deep concern that if the Bidens were to come to power, the country would be facing the same traumatic Russia collusion scandal, only this time with China. Sadly, because of the DOJ's uh, cover-up, this is exactly what happened. And you could argue that if you look at the international scene, it's never been more perilous since the Cold War ended. There's any doubt about it. And now you have a situation where the president, who is supposed to be Mr. Foreign Relations, brings stability there. From China to Iran to Russia, you see it all within 48 hours. They're challenging us everywhere. 
And now this guy can't even come forward. He says he's worried about his own welfare. Look, I think that one of the things that we, you know, have in America in in a very sad way in this moment is uh, we don't have any faith in the kind of leadership that is on offer um, from the very same people who espouse themselves repeatedly uh, and are framed by the media as uh, the top experts in their fields. Uh, and I and I would apply that to everything, but I would particularly apply it to the realm of foreign policy. I feel like we have had such a disservice in terms of America's foreign policy, uh, quote unquote, elite over the past several decades, who've led us down very wrong paths and, and often have been, unfortunately, compromised in one way or another. Uh, they've certainly done a, a, a terrible job in terms of, of American leadership around the world. Uh, and I think that, you know, when you saw I think there are a lot of Americans who feel like even if they don't like Donald Trump, even if they dislike him personally, they felt like when he was in charge that things didn't happen that they're used to that they're used to having happen under this quote unquote expert leadership class, uh, namely that that people did actually fear American might, that they were worried that yeah. the president would respond forcefully if they if they tried to test us. Uh, and I think that that's something that a lot of Americans want back. And they're actually kind of saying, wait a minute, we were told that this was the guy who was the agent of chaos, and yet we didn't see you know, uh, Russia crossing into Ukraine on, on his watch. We didn't see the kind of saber rattling that we're seeing around the world. And we certainly didn't see the kind of treatment that we're getting from China uh, in, in, the current, uh, in the current way under this administration. So I don't know if you've been following uh, things in Russia. I find it fascinating what's happening there. But yesterday, to you, the U.S. Navy stopped uh, Iran from seizing two oil tankers uh, over in the Gulf of Oman. This happened in full view. They still felt impervious. They're going to do it anyway. They almost pulled it off. They didn't, thankfully. Then we find out that the Iran-backed militia group in Iraq in March uh, uh, kidnapped, uh, kidnapped an American. We also find out that in China, the Treasury Secretary is going to visit on the heels of China announcing they're not going to be selling us some of the precious metals that we need for the batteries that have been jammed down our throats, while we can pull back on some cloud services that might be offered their direction. So please tell me where the stability is. And in Russia, Prigozhin, we understand, has now shown up in St. Petersburg, according to Lushenko of Belarus. So are we witnessing some type of civil war there? We have a handle on what's happening? I don't think we have a handle on any of this, Brian. I think that I think that things are, are really sliding out of control in a lot of different ways. Just you know, one of the things that uh, that you know is an aspect of what you mentioned going on in Iran, of course, is that. Uh, the UAE, which is you know one of our partners in the region, you know is has been really pressuring uh, Washington to uh, to react to all the things that they've been seeing coming out of Iran to to be uh, engaged in uh, activities of deterrence after the you know their uh, seizure of tankers back in April and May, and what and that's something that you know is another just aspect of of this Biden White House, which I just don't get. They seem to think that, you know, sending messages of weakness or dovishness, you know, result in uh, will result in somehow people being nicer to us. Uh, when in reality, the opposite is true. When you send that message, it sends a message of weakness. It it says, you know, oh, you know, just going back to sort of the, the idea know. when there were the nuclear fears were rising up, uh, the idea that 
uh, you know, there would not be a response in kind uh, from the West uh, as a back-channel message to Moscow, that that was something that was going to, you know, in some way make them treat us nicer. Uh, that's absurd. You know, that's, it's, it's like, did any of these people actually, you know, understand how deterrence works? And, and that, I think, is, is a fundamental aspect of the debate that needs to be happening. But, but just to circle back to the beginning point, I really wish that that was something that could be debated among the potential Republican candidates. You know, we deserve to see a I full know. roster of response. Hey, look, at, Ben, we didn't get a foreign policy debate for the presidency last time. That was missed because of the pandemic uh, and some other problems. Ben Dominic, thanks so much. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. President Xi is playing the ball right down the middle of the fairway here. He is leaning a little bit toward Ukraine, but he's not sending serious weapons. He's not uh, engaging in a full-throated defense. And look no further than the Prigozhin Revolution. Where was President Xi? He was silent. It was third-tier Chinese officials who had pretty limp words of support for the best friend forever over in Moscow. I think Putin has uh, begun to really play out his string with President Xi. Uh, that would be great uh, so on so many levels as he's lost 50 percent of his military firepower. Uh, maybe some of his power, period. And his best fighting force is now in Belarus at a makeshift base. And then we find out from Lushenko, the president of Belarus, he's not here. And I'm talking about Perosian, per, uh, um, uh, the head of the Wagner Group. Um, and he is gone. They say he's in St. Petersburg. So wait a second. Not only is he not dead, not only is there not a warrant out for his arrest, he's back in Russia. I know he was tight with Putin, but this makes Putin look unbelievably weak. Unless it's all a trick, and we're not to believe it. Bottom line, chaos in leadership, and their answer to chaos is to hit Ukraine with more rockets because they can't beat him on the ground yet. Hopefully they'll get the attackums to push the Russians way back. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Anybody can be a champ. It takes a man to stand up when this thing hits you in the mouth because it hurts. Everybody says when you get these inner city kids down, they'll lay over and you'll beat them by 40. You're down 20 nothing. You come back from that, now you're talking about something. One oh three to go. Season comes to a close for somebody here tonight. You think football builds character. It does not. He's going to throw it. He pulls it in. Football reveals character. Big difference. And that's uh, all part of a great new uh, documentary that's out. One of the best around. Undefeated, it's called. The CEO of uh, Classic America Harwoods and subject to the Oscar-winning documentary joins us now. Bill Courtney, uh, who volunteered to coach uh, the Manassas Tigers over in Shelby County in Tennessee. And the rest is chronicled in the movie. Bill, what made you jump on the sideline there? You know, I'm I'm a Memphis guy, and I coached football my entire life for a living and got married and had four kids and couldn't afford to do it for a profession. And um, started a business, and the school was close to my business, and the opportunity came up to coach over there. And so 
We went over there and found 17 kids on a team that won four games in 10 years. And seven years later, when the movie was made, we had 75 kids on the team and had a record of 18 and two. And it was just a really a uh, a life changing event for me. And uh, and um, when the guys came to chronicle it, make that that movie, we thought nobody would ever see. Um, life changed for all of us a little bit. So what you did is you did you find talent and no leadership? I mean, a program not well financed, obviously, inner city, not much with the tax base there. So you were really up against it. You know, in my book, I say one of my fundamentals is the greatest measure of the effectiveness of a leader is the actions of the followers. And I think that's uh, – I think I think my entire time at, at Manassas was, is metaphorical of that one tenant, which is, yeah, there's talent. Kids are kids. It doesn't matter what the zip code is at the time of your birth. There's talented kids everywhere and untalented kids everywhere. And but kids want to be held accountable. They want to be inspired. They want to go to work. They they want to be cared about. They they want to have a level playing field and just an opportunity. I mean, kids have. Uh, an innocence that hadn't eroded by the end of high school. And we just went in and started coaching football and started coaching things like character and commitment and integrity and allowed the human spirit and the natural goodness of those kids to, to take over. And so the the thing is, unfortunately, in, in our world, you see a, a, a kid from a certain area with tats up his arm and in an impoverished area, and you think you know what you're looking at. And um, when you break down those societal preconceived notions about one another and just go to work and allow humanity to take over, amazing things can happen. Right. So here's another cut, and I want to get into what you're doing now, how you're building on it. Uh, this is uh, summing up your first two weeks, Cup 48. Starting right guard shot, no longer in school. Starting wheel linebacker shot, no longer in school. Two players fighting right in front of the coach. Start and center arrested. Most coaches, that would be pretty much a career's worth of crap to deal with. I think that sums up the last two weeks for me. So that was your first two weeks, right? Yeah, that's right. But the movie is seven years later. So, yes, that is, look, movies, the press, even this conversation tends to sensationalize uh, the most disadvantaged among us and people from uh, the most disenfranchised communities. And I, I don't want to do that. Um, all of those things are true. And the demographics are sad and all of the things you read and hear. But those are human beings and those are kids. And if you level the playing field and you give them an illustration of what life looks like when you adhere to certain fundamentals and tenets in your life, and then you enable them to be successful, amazing things can happen, and it does not matter where you're from. True. Uh, here's another cut, and then we'll get to what you're working on now, cut 49. This is your first day of practice. Everybody imagine the state of Tennessee on a map. Way over in the corner, you got Knoxville and Chattanooga. Toward the middle, you got Nashville, and you come on down here. Everybody outside of Memphis, do you know what they say the biggest city in Mississippi is? Memphis. The rest of the state doesn't even claim us when it comes to football. We're viewed by people outside of the West Tennessee area who've played us, undisciplined, not very well coached, run around acting a fool before the game about everything other than football, 
and about ourselves rather than about the team. You have responsibility this year, guys, just like the teams that came before you. You have responsibility to play hard. You have responsibility to take care of yourself in the classroom. And you have responsibility to show Memphis what Manassas football is about. And what was their response? Was it was it like bucking a wild Bronco in the beginning? <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, um, just just give people the tools to be successful, level the playing field, illustrate to them fundamentals and tenets that can work in your life well after the days of playing football are over, and then enable them to to respond to it. And what I said there was true. Um, you know, Memphis is one of the highest crime rate cities in the country. There's all kinds of poverty and despair here. And, um, you know, the, the best way to change minds is not through a bunch of banners and fancy sayings and everything else. It is do better, work harder, and change minds through your actions, not your words. And that's what I challenge the kids to do, and they answered the call and did it. You mentioned this was years ago. Do you still in touch with these kids today? And, and Oh, yeah, sure. In fact, <laughs> I was just talking to your producer before we came on, and the last episode of our podcast that's – um, doing really well was uh, is one of those players on that team. He's he was a guest on the show, and now ten years later, he is now doing philanthropic work in the exact same neighborhood that Manassas is in. Yeah, I think this is um, I, this is an army of normal folks. Is the name of the podcast, right? That's right. This is is it Chavis Daniels? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Chavis Daniels, yeah. who spent some time in jail as a sophomore in high school. Um, Gangs, all of it. Uh, you see a transformation of his life as a young man in the in the film. Now, what you find out eight nine years later is he's a grown man with kids, and he started a program called the North Memphis Steelers in North Memphis, where he is mentoring and teaching all kinds of second grader through eighth grader kids, both boys and girls. And their motto is school first, and he holds them accountable and teaches them. And he also has a thing called We Not Me, and he goes around all over Memphis recording good things happening in the inner city and trying to show the world that, yeah, we have problems, but it's not all bad. And, yeah, it's it's an amazing story that a kid that was in jail one time is now a community leader in a very impoverished, difficult place in Memphis. Here he is, Cut 51. Recently at Manassas, one of our artistic players wanted to uh, run the football. We talked to the other team, and they, they was with it. The last play of the game, they won the game, actually, and they um, allowed him to run a touchdown, man. He was so happy. He felt like he just won the lottery. So would you handle the ball, and y'all arranged it so that he could run, run and, and everybody kind of cheered him on, like yeah, trying yeah. to play with him? It was a crazy moment. Like when I say even the other fans were like cheering for him. We had, I know, at least over 200 people in the stands going crazy about him getting the opportunity, and I thought that was pretty cool. What did he say afterwards? Was Man, he just, he was just stoked? dancing. Just like, <laughs> and, and our video went crazy. Like it was just, he was happy the kids picked him up, you know, made him just feel like he was on. Um, like he was the champion, like like we wanted him to. So I mean, it's not only you helping that kid; he's helping other kids. So it's it's being passed down. Is that what you hope to do with this podcast? An army of normal folks is exactly what it sounds like. We are trying. Obviously, it's it's a podcast, and it's a national podcast. It's 
you know, when we when we first we've only been on there for five weeks. We've been as high as number ten in the country on Apple. People are listening, and and here's why they're listening. I don't care if you're black, white, Asian, Latino, gay, straight, Christian, Muslim, Jewish, right, left, Republican, Democrat. All of these things we tend to separate ourselves in. The one thing we all are is humans. And regardless of who you are, the way you believe or worship or think, we can always celebrate together in community when common humanity does something well. And so instead of interviewing A-listers and politicians and all of this, I'm using my platform to interview normal folks who are doing extraordinary things in their corner of the world, and we're telling their story because I fully believe that that is something that regardless of who we are, where we come from, or how we think, we can all celebrate together in community. And there's just very few things right now in our country that we can do that in. And so an army of normal folks is meant to be inspirational and interesting, and you'll laugh and you'll cry and you'll hear stories you've never heard. But more importantly, it's meant to inspire folks to think about their talents and their passions and the things that they can do in their community and then you can go to normalfolks.us and join the Army. And I know that sounds kind of hokey, but join a community where when you have an idea, you have a group of people to bounce the idea off of and people who've done it who can help usher your idea and your community into a reality. So that that's great. And you're going to still coach, though, right? Yeah. I mean, I've got a business to run. I've got a wife to keep up with. I've got this podcast. I'm driving all over the place to to interview people on and during covid i took uh for the first time in 31 years i took a couple years off and i'm off this year and i plan on going back next for sure i miss it going back to coach football and do you find that now they, they say well for inner cities it's more challenging than ever um frankly i think the answer to that would would people would expect it to be yes but no it's it's not because frankly it's not that challenging um, again, we get over-sensationalized by the news and the talking heads and, for God's sakes, the politics in D.C. Kids are kids. I can't I, – I know I'm being redundant here, but kids are kids. If you, if you give kids an opportunity and a level playing field and illustrate for them a way to lead a life that can lead to success and happiness, and you don't take the credit, you don't pound your chest – you kind of you kind of help usher that into their psyche. Um, my experience in 31 years have been is they can win on the football field, but they can win in life too. Yeah, I just uh, facilities there. Were the facilities there for you? No, the facilities are terrible. I mean, most of the schools in all of our urban areas are underfunded. They're overtaxed. We've got incredible bureaucracy sucking money out of school systems there's not enough anything no but you know what there are there are people in every community that when they see somebody and a group of people working hard to do something right to affect some measure of change will always open up their pocketbooks they'll always open up their hearts and minds to what you're doing and so no the facilities are awful and facilities are awful in most places but the people around them aren't awful, and if they they see an opportunity to invest in the future of of kids who are trying to do things the right way, you just 
let them know about what you're doing, and, and folks will support you. Yeah, and, uh, and it definitely has to – you don't have to be a great athlete. Just be a part of the game, right? No, it's not – I mean, you just heard about an autistic kid that scored a touchdown, and that will be one of the best memories of his life. And he's not an athlete. It's, it's – look, undefeated is not about wins and losses. It's about not being defeated by your circumstances. It's about not letting life and all of the – pop psych culture media narratives hit you in the mouth and destroy your belief in humanity. It's about not being defeated by this thing we're doing to ourselves the last couple of decades about dividing ourselves and, and grouping ourselves. It's, it's, a, it's, it's about not allowing societal preconceived notions to defeat you and an army of normal folks job as a podcast is to be interesting and inspiring, but also, most importantly, is to try to bring people together from different walks of life and community that can celebrate good things and that can learn and hopefully inspire people to employ their passion and their abilities in their neck of the woods. And where can you get Army of uh, Normal Folks? You can get that at Apple, anywhere you get. Uh, uh, it, yep, Apple, Spotify, iHeart is our distributor. You can get it anywhere you get your, your podcasts. And then you can go to normalfolks.us, which is our website. You can subscribe and get a newsletter and updates on everything that's going on. And all of our guests share all of their personal information, every one of them, as well as I do, producers, so that. When somebody lit just today, I got an email from a guy who heard an episode two episodes ago. He's a financial advisor, and he said, Bill, I believe financial literacy is one of the keys to helping people pull themselves out of poverty. And if you have anybody working with kids who want my expertise in this area of the world, let me know. I'll partner with them, and I'll start teaching their kids or their young adults financial literacy. That happened today. And, I mean, that is what it's about. I mean, you can join a community of people who see needs and want to help it. I know we're going long. I want to say something to you. After the Academy Award and on my book tour and all of that, I got asked a lot of questions. One of the questions I got asked almost all the time was, hey, I want to do something good. I love the idea, but how do I start? And I get people's insecurities and I get people right. worry about how they start. And I never really had a good answer for that, but I do now. An army of normal folks allows people an opportunity to find out how to start. Got it. An army of normal folks on Apple. Thanks so much, uh, Coach Bill Courtney. Appreciate it. Thanks for all you do. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, uh, we are back. And just a couple of things. Keep in mind, uh, One Nation coming up Saturday at, uh, at 8 o'clock uh, on uh, Fox News Channel. Have a lot of breaking news. And also, we're following this We're following this story about what's going on. You keep an eye on this Israeli that is coming out talking about intimate details that we've been looking for to find out what exactly Hunter Biden was up to. It seems to be uh, the area in which uh, Tony Bobulinski tried to bring up three years ago and people didn't seem to be ready to remember. But I think it's also time to find out if we need to know more. 
More to know. Invest in premium American whiskey as it ages. The older it gets, the better it gets. And the more valuable it gets. Go to caskdeeds.com. That's caskdeeds.com to learn more. Paid for by Spirits Capital Corporation. All right, someone who witnessed LeBron James break the NBA record earlier this year is absolutely thrilled to have kept the ticket because it's now expected to fetch a few thousand dollars at an auction. $92 stub that was uh, used by a fan to watch James pass Kareem. Well, uh, on February 7th, just hit the block this week in Heritage Auctions. Experts say it could ultimately sell for $5,000. To me, it was it was like the most overplayed moment, but it's pretty amazing because I don't think he's necessarily loved right now. Next, Mark Zuckerberg's meta launches a Twitter killer called Threads. Zuckerberg wants to take out Twitter. Threads is off, got 10 million users right away in the App Store. What they want to do is have total control. Everybody should push back on this. Mark Levin's book is not going to be allowed in certain stores, including Target. We'll discuss that. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.